We're a little over halfway through the Hawks' first road trip, and we've gotten a good sense of where or who this team is. I think we just, just got to keep fighting. I mean, like we did, we can't put ourselves in too much of a hole like we did to start the game. This is the Hawks report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Hi, I'm your host, Lauren Williams, and I'm joined today by my trusty handy-dandy producer, Daniel Salerson. And today we're going to get a chance to talk about where the Hawks are now that they've gone through the first three to four games of this road trip. We've seen a team that has gotten off to some slow starts. We've seen a team that has gotten off to good starts but fall apart pretty quickly. So we'll get into that and and more in today's podcast. We're recording live. Just kidding. We're not live from Toronto, Canada. um, And the Hawks are going to be taking on the Raptors on Monday night. So We'll have a little bit of that later in the show and and how they looked against the Raptors, which is kind of a team that's, uh, I would say, the most similar to the Hawks in in these first six games. So before we get into that, I just want to encourage you all to listen and subscribe wherever you guys get your podcasts. And here we are. We're going to get into the show. This is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean Breeze. Tropical Beach, Pina Colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I apologize to you guys. You know, I have a little rasp in my throat this time around, you know, with the weather changing, traveling. It's something that I'm going to have to get used to, of course, but you guys will be hearing a little frog in my throat, maybe some coughs (laughs) throughout today's show. But I'm feeling okay. You know, the first road trip, we've gotten a good sense of what the Hawks are, are, are kind of going to be. I mean, it's still a work in progress. It's still early. And the Hawks are the first to tell you that they have plenty of kinks that they need to continue working out. Um, So far through this road trip, they're two and one um, as of Monday afternoon when Daniel and I are recording this in the in the early part of the day. And again, they're going to face the Toronto Raptors on Monday night, Halloween night in Toronto. And, And the Raptors are kind of a team that's similar to the Hawks. I mean, offensively, they average about... 104 points per game. I mean, the Hawks tend to put up a little bit more just because they've been attacking the paint and they're starting to find their their shot from three. They're not totally there yet. Um, they're shooting 35.7 percent from the from from three point range. But defensively, I, I mean, both teams are kind of on on the same level. I mean, the Raptors have a defensive rating of. whereas the Hawks have uh, a defensive rating of 112. You know, again, the Hawks are 
the first to tell you that there's some kinks that they need to work out on the defensive end. But for for where this team is and where they were last season, I feel like they're they're kind of getting it and 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 they're kind of attacking in the way that you would expect a team that's trying to build a defensive identity um, should be doing. It's tough because it's hard to see completely where this team is defensively just because of the level of talent that they were playing beforehand. I think Dominique Wilkins had a really good point in one of the broadcasts, and I believe it was the Orlando broadcast where he says sometimes teams tend to play down uh, to the level of their opponent. But we've seen that the Hawks have steadily been been getting some tougher and tougher opponents. And, and I think Saturday's game in Milwaukee was a good indicator that this Hawks team can compete. Uh, they got off to a, a good start. They were leading uh, through the first half of the first quarter in, in Milwaukee. And then things started to fall apart once Brooke Lopez got hot. And when a guy like Brooke Lopez gets hot who can stretch the floor, I mean, that's certainly going to give any defensive team a lot of trouble. And then when you're also facing a team that's the top defensive team in the league, it's understandable that some of the the shots that the Hawks decide to go for might be highly contested shots. And, and Nate McMillan had a really good diagnosis of kind of what happened toward the end of that game in Milwaukee. And he said that this team was settling way too much for highly contested shots. He wants them to get into the paint more. He wants them to continue moving the ball more. And I mean, in some of these games, we haven't even seen them crack 20 assists per game just because we get a lot of hero ball. I mean, we talked about this in the last last podcast, Daniel, that, you know, sometimes they feel the need to put things on their shoulders that they shouldn't have to because I think this roster, this, this starting five has five capable guys who can go out and get you get you some shots. I mean, I would love to see John Collins a little bit more involved like we did see him in those first three to four games where he was averaging, what, 20 points per game? I mean, in these in these last three, he's kind of disappeared a little bit on the offensive end. I mean, he's been a huge presence on the defensive end, but if he's part of your big three, you're going to need to see a lot more consistency from him on the offensive end. And I mean, we saw Trey put this team on his back in these last three games between those two in Detroit and then Saturday night's Saturday night's game in Milwaukee where he was progressively putting up more and more points. You can tell he's getting into a rhythm for sure, but you know, part of the reason they brought DeJounte Murray on board is to take some of that pressure off of him. And so we're definitely going to see, we're going we're gonna to need to see more of these guys get involved on, on the offensive end. And I wonder... And this is something that, you know, if if we'd had some practices over these last couple of days, I would have asked Nate if there is a level of distrust between Trey and the rest of the guys on the floor in these crunch time minutes. I mean, what do you, what did you think um, about these last three games, the two in Detroit and the one in Milwaukee? I want to start with your point about John Collins. I think it you make a great point about, especially against Milwaukee on the defensive side, because Brooke was able to knock down those threes to start the ball game, John had to stay around the perimeter mostly the entire game. So you lost one of your rim protectors because, and especially with a guy like Giannis, I mean, you need all the help you can down low. And so when Giannis started getting going, 
later on in the game because you have Brooke Lopez out there and John Collins has to be the one that has to stay out there because Brooke has been a threat all game and knocking down those five threes. But what I noticed with John on the offensive end is a lot of times when Trey had the ball and Trey was driving, John would just settle for being outside of the perimeter and waiting for a three. He took a couple threes the other night. I'm like, is that really the shot that he wants or he really needs? And so I think he took himself out of the offense himself where if he's not inside, can Trey really trust him to kick out and let him shoot those threes, especially in crucial situations because he's not really known to be a three-point shooter? So I think if John goes inside or moves around and causes, you know, at least to clear the lane, look, no one's going to put pressure on John. They're going to let him stay out there. So you're allowing the defense to collapse inside the paint and contest Trey, and then Trey has nowhere to kick it out, and then you're settling for jumpers that are contested because you're laying the shot clock. So I think you made a very great point about John Collins. But as far as these three games, I think the plus side is, and it's so tough on these games where you play teams twice in three days, they start implementing that last year just for travel restrictions, that a lot of times you're tending to split those games. And a team like Detroit, the fact that you took both of them in different fashions where the the second game, I mean, the offense was clicking on all cylinders. You were able to to really shoot the basketball well in the first game. It you know came down to the wire a little bit. So you won those games in two different fashions. I thought this this road trip has been a success so far. And I know uh, Monday's game against Toronto is the swing game because you'll secure a winning road trip. And I think that's really the goal for any road trip, especially one of your longest ones of the season in your first few games of the season because this team's trying to figure some things out. So I, I liked how they played against Detroit. Some people are like, well, they're 4-2. and two. They've, They haven't played anyone. But you're you're playing the schedule that's in front of you. So if they would have lost those games, you're thinking, why are you losing the teams that you should be winning? If you win, you're like, well, you're only beating teams like Detroit. So damned if you do, damned if you don't uh, when it comes to that. But as far as Milwaukee, I thought they played very well. And I thought, you know, it came down to the end. Giannis couldn't miss. And Drew Holiday, I mean, what he was able to do against his brothers, I mean, the 34 points, he was in his bag the other night. I mean, in the threes, bag. he was, the way he was driving, the way he was finishing yeah. at the rim, those little knockdown mid He was mid-range. getting everything he yes, wanted. exactly. I mean, those two combined for 68 points. I don't care if you're the Hawks. I don't care if you're the best team in the league. I don't think anyone's beating those Bucks when you have those two putting up the numbers that they did, especially with Brooke Lopez. So... Um, long story short, I, I've been pleased with how this team has played through the thir- first three games, and they could have easily won that game on Saturday night against Milwaukee on their first back-to-back of the season. So uh, I think Monday's game against Toronto, and we'll talk about that more later once it's done, um, is kind of, I think, a first real kind of test for this team. Uh, a very good team that, like you said, complements each other really well, that if you can get this one, then I feel like you're, you're going home, at least, even after playing New York, feeling confident about where this team can go once they get more games under their belt. And I think, you know, when you look at the final score, just going back to Milwaukee really quickly, when you look at the final score, I don't think it's at all indicative of how competitive this game was. And I think what that Milwaukee game really taught us about where this Hawks team is, is that they they aren't quite sure where they fit with this new roster in, in crunch time. Because in theory, you should be able to take advantage of a guy like DeJounte Murray, who is a guy that can can put up shots in, in clutch time. You should be able to rely on a guy like John Collins who can get inside the paint and, and really collapse the defense. And then you should be able to kick out to Trey. And he should be able to 
be that guy that knocks those shots down from deep. I think that they still have a lot to learn as far as, you know, taking care of the basketball in these crunch time situations, not committing, you know, those ticky-tacky fouls that get you into trouble, making sure that everybody is on the right page as far as what the defense needs to do of limiting guys like Antetokounmpo and and Drew Holiday and, and Brooke Lopez and even, you know, some of the other rotational players that kind of finished out Saturday's game. So I, I think that this team hadn't been, up until that first game in Detroit, this team hadn't really been in those crunch time situations because, um, you know, those first couple of games against the Rockets and Orlando, they kind of established the pace, at least by the beginning of the fourth quarter. The Charlotte game, it was out of their control by, by that point. I mean, the game was done. And, and that first game in Detroit, I mean, they kind of took it down to the wire just a little bit. But, I mean, they, that, that second unit, you know, at least helped them establish where they needed to be to kind of finish out the game at the pace that they needed to be. Yeah, so I think when you're going up a quali- against a quality opponent, like, and that's not to say that Charlotte, Orlando, Houston, and Detroit aren't quality opponents. I mean, they, they challenged the Hawks for sure, but when I say quality, I'm talking about teams that are expected to go deep into the playoffs like Milwaukee. You're going to need these Hawks team, this Hawks team to be a little bit more intentional and a little bit more focused on the end and not committing those little mistakes that cost you the game in the end. I mean, one could say uh, the turning point in that fourth quarter that kind of just took all momentum out of that that swing that they were trying to push toward the end was that offensive foul that just took the ball out of their hands. I mean, they had a couple of offensive fouls down the stretch. And when again, when you're playing a team like Milwaukee, who is the top defensive team in the league, you cannot let them bait you into offensive fouls. You just cannot because that's going to disrupt any momentum that you're able to build up. Again, this team is supposed to be a team that's supposed to be a low turnover prone team. But again, when you're facing the top team, that's one of the best defensive teams in the league. You're going to have to be a little bit more focused to avoid those mistakes. Yeah, and they have a very high basketball IQ as well. A lot of smart players on that team that you said can bait them. And that's where the the hero ball came into play because they were forcing just drives on their own. And you have these Bucks defenders that are just sitting there waiting for you to get in there and they can just draw the charge. Or they force a turnover because you make a bad pass or try to make an extra pass that there was no one there. So I, I think those are the big reasons. And like you mentioned, it'll take some time. I think what you're seeing around the NBA is I don't think anyone's really shown... I mean, the Bucks are a team that's still undefeated, but like everyone else is trying to figure things out. No matter if you're a team that has a lot of players returning or a team that is kind of starting from scratch. And I think with DeJounte and Trey, I think you're right. In clutch time situations, you're going to have to figure out who's the guy taking it up, who's the guy that you're going to try to get the open shot for, because you have two guys that can knock down three. So who's driving in, who's creating, where you position John Collins, in there as well to make sure that you're utilizing everyone to create that open shot. So um, also with lack of practice time on the road, you know, that, that hurts Nate McMillan. I'm sure he wants to get out there and practice every day as much as they can just to work on these things, but it's hard. And, you know, there's less practices around the NBA due to scheduling and just these guys resting. So um, I think once they get back home and they get more practices under the belt, you'll see um, some adjustments made there in the last five minutes. 
And I just want to point out one thing that has kind of pleasantly surprised me through these first six games of the season is how well Murray has been shooting from three. He's um, he's shooting 38.7% from, from long range on 5.2 attempts per game. I mean, that's a pretty positive step in the right direction considering he only shot 32.7% the year before in San Antonio. So I, I think that he's showing that he can be that guy that they can turn to. It's just making sure that with his basketball IQ, he's not settling for those highly contested shots, but he's being a little bit more smart about when he shoots the basketball. And then I just, oh, um, I just saw that Fred Van Vliet is listed as questionable um, with back soreness. So that's something that will obviously, you know, take some of the pressure off the Hawks defense uh, tonight when they face the, and when I say tonight, Monday night, when they face the the Raptors here, um, if he doesn't play. But the Raptors have a lot of other quality backup guards who will continue to pressure the Hawks' defense. So, you know, we'll see what actually happens if Van Van Vliet does end up playing tonight. But uh, I'm sure, you know, he, that takes a little bit of pressure off of Murray and, and, and some of the other guys uh, who will be tasked with slowing him down. So um, Yeah, that's a guy that can drop 30 at any point. So mm-hmm. if you have to not worry about him, I mean, that's one less shooter you have to worry about too. So mm-hmm. that could be a, a, a big factor in, some, in Monday night's game. For sure. So, I mean, Daniel, we've been talking for nearly 20 minutes now about um, those first three games on the road trip. So I think... You know, it might be some time to it might be time to answer some questions. What do you think? I don't know. Well, let's see what maybe we maybe we can. Ah, uh, yeah, it's time. It's time. The mailbag <laughs> is here. We even got some music to go along with it. So yeah, again, you can yeah. follow Lauren on Twitter at Williams Lauren L. We try to get the to the mailbag every week, and we'll start here with at T O'Connor. Tom O'Connor is the one that has a couple questions for you. So. Um, we'll start with the first one talking about the DeAndre Hunter has Hunter lived up to his extension price tag so far this season, good signs or bad? You know, I, I have been pretty happy with, uh, DeAndre Hunter. I mean, in most of these games, he's the guy that is setting the tone for this team offensively in the first game in Detroit. I think he had the first eight points the second game in Detroit, I think he had the first 10 to 12 points. And so he's taking advantage of the defensive defenses, focusing their attention on Murray, Trey, and John Collins. So I think the next step for him is making sure that, you know, he's continuing to be available for Murray and Trey when, you know, they're looking to kick out the ball, kick out those balls. I mean, He's shooting really well from three, as you would expect a guy who's making, you know, $90 million over four or five years to do. I'm just pulling up his stats really quickly to see. He's shooting 39.1% from three, 3.8 attempts per game. I'd love to see the number of attempts go up, if I'm being honest, just because he has been so accurate. He's been, I'm pretty sure, other than Trey... Actually, Trey hasn't been shooting the ball that well to start this season. Um, but I think he might be the the Hawks' best shooter outside of A.J. Griffin, who has only played about 5.7 minutes in three games. But, yeah, he's, he's one of the Hawks' best shooters. So I would love to see him get 
that number up to maybe six, seven attempts from from three. So I think defensive, defensively, he's certainly lived up to expectations. I mean, the Hawks have been tasking him with guarding some of the opponent's best wings, whether that's Terrence Ross, Gordon Hayward, um, Detroit. They, he had a tough challenge with Bojan Bogdanovic and Cade Cunningham. And in that first game, it was it was certainly frustrating for him because he was trying to match Bogdanovich's physicality and the refs were just not they were they were keeping a very close eye on him and he ended up fouling out of the game. And so um, when I talked to him on Thursday following that Wednesday game, you know, he said it's it's going to be a balance for him of trying to figure out how to continue being physical with, you know, guys who are trying to attack the paint. And and close and try to be a better closeout uh, a guy on the def- like when they're taking um, shots from three, so it's 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 going to be a balance for him. But I will say that I've been pretty pleased, um, other than those two games in Detroit with his defense. Um, yeah. So the next step I think for him is just making sure in the second half that he doesn't disappear on the offensive end because he's certainly showing up on the defensive end. One more from Tom. He ta- asked about what are some creative lineups you would like to see Nate try this season against certain teams where the Hawks are naturally at a disadvantage. One of the examples of Valanchunas in the preseason. And of course, the other night with Giannis and Lopez combo. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to lie. I would love to see some more Frank Kaminsky minutes, especially against some of those bigger fives um, and bigger fours. I think, you know, potentially they could have utilized his size on Saturday night. But I mean, Nate, Nate knows what he's doing. I'm, I'm sure from a fan's perspective, it does get frustrating sometimes. But, you know, matchup-wise, he knows his guys and, and where they fit best. And so I honestly don't think that Saturday night's loss is totally on, you know, the defensive end. I just think that they made some very costly mistakes down the stretch. And you just can't have that with a team that's as balanced as Milwaukee. Um, you have to be on your P's and Q's. And 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 like Trey said, you want to make sure that you're not getting into a hole early to begin with. But yeah, I'd love to see some to go back to the to go back to the question. I'd love to see Kaminsky out there a little bit more just because he does beef up the front court a little bit. And, um, you know, with Onyeka being as great as he was against Giannis on Saturday night and, and with how much uh, Capella, Clint Capella has been you know, for better or for worse, a a mixed bag in these first six games, you might have been able to utilize uh, Kaminsky's ability to stretch the floor and and get some shots from three. I mean, we saw it in that preseason game against the Pelicans that he knocked down two consecutive threes, and that's kind of what helped give them the right spark to get back into the action. So with you know, some of the other guys struggling to knock those shots down, I think he would force um, opponents to respect his three ball. So, At um, jgib88 asks, how did it feel to be back in Detroit? Any restaurants you would recommend? Yeah, I will say it was great being back in Detroit. You know, I told a couple of people, I definitely felt like a visitor and not someone who lived there for two and a half years just because... I really do think the lack of a car kind of limits how much you are able to move around. But, you know, I was able to rely on a lot of old friends to give me rides around town and everything. I got to see my old 
apartment, um, caught up with some of my old roommates, and of course met um, you know the house dog Georgie and got a got some good FaceTime with him. You know he was he's he's a Bernese Mountain Dog and he's definitely convinced me that. I want a Bernese Mountain Dog in the future. So Detroit was great. Um, and as far as restaurant restaurant recommendations, I think Moots, that's M-O-O-T-Z, it's a pizzeria in downtown Detroit, is great. Um, the margarita pizza is amazing. Uh, Condado's, if you are into tacos. And and honestly, if, if you want less of a chain, um, Mexican Town has a ton of amazing Mexican restaurants. Honestly, I can't even name them off the top of my head just because it's one of those where it's just like you know where to go, but on the main, like on that main street, and I can't think of the name right now, but yeah, just go to Mexican Town and you'll be able to find a great restaurant that has Mexican food. And then um, Flowers of Vietnam, if you're into Vietnamese food, is another top choice. All right. Good good recommendations. I will say mm-hmm. in my time that I was able to travel um, around the league, the media room at Little Caesars Arena, oh, by far top the best tier. one in the NBA. Top by far. Tier. Not only just the Little Caesars pizza, mm-hmm. but the, all the other, the ice cream machine, mm-hmm. everything else that they offer, the thousands of TVs when we came in on a, on a Sunday to watch football. Unbelievable. So I will brag about that. As much as the fans really don't get to experience that, their media yeah. room, top notch in the NBA. Just throwing that out there. Yep, top um, tier. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Can confirm. Next question from wet underscore pepper. Um, the last two minute report. What did it say about the uh, offensive foul that was called? That was you mentioned. That was the one that kind of changed the momentum of that game against Milwaukee. Yeah. Um, did the refs get that call right? Honestly, from my perspective, up in the nosebleeds of <laughs> Pfizer for, Forum, it was tough to see. But on the replay, it did look like. Hunter um, got his hands on Wesley Matthews there. I'm scrolling through the two minutes report right now. I had it earlier, but I lost it. So it was with 23.2 seconds remaining in the game. I do think they ended up getting it correct. Uh, They said Hunter extends his arms into Matthews' upper body, delivering contact that affects uh, Matthews, and then it ended up causing contact between Matthews and Trey Young. So, you know, obviously you never want that. And that's kind of the plays that I'm talking about um, in terms of being as focused as possible. You can tell that it seemed like Dre was trying to set uh, the right screen and then kind of cut back in toward the paint. But you just have to be so much more careful in terms of how much force you're delivering with trying to push off a guy because refs are going to call that even if it doesn't result in ensuing contact with another player. So, yeah, it's, yeah. they. I think they did get it correct, especially when, from what I did see on the replay. Yeah, I think what some of the confusion was, at least from me watching on Bally's, was mm-hmm. everyone thinking it was on Trey. Yeah. And, of course, when you look at it, like, how was Trey the one when Wesley Matthews ran him over? But I don't think we really looked closely at what DeAndre right. Hunter was doing in that situation. Yeah. So I think that's where everyone was kind of shocked at what was called there. And then now that you yeah. clear it up, it makes a little more sense how the refs are able to call it. And the two minute report says that they got it right. So For it was sure. a big momentum change, but um, obviously the right call there from the refs. Last one, uh, as far as the mailbag from Will McGee, he has three questions. I'll kind of mm-hmm. combine 
two of them because they involve bogey mm-hmm. um aj griffin's efficiency earning playing time in bogey's absence and then mm-hmm. how is bogey's rehab going and how will it affect aj griffin's playing time within yeah. the next month when bogey returns i mean as i mentioned earlier griffin has averaged 5.7 minutes per game he's only played in three games and and i i get where fans and I, I mean i follow along with you guys on reddit on twitter and everything like that throughout the game i get the frustration because it is frustrating to watch griffin knock down consecutive shots and then end up getting pulled from the action like personally i would love to see him get a little bit of a more extended run um especially because he's shooting 66.7 percent uh from three on two attempts per game in those three games. And so, you know, he's a guy that is a bucket. And so, especially in close games, like the one in Milwaukee, um, Detroit, which is a more youthful team, I think that's the time to give him those extended runs just because it's an important part of his development. So, yeah, I think once Bogey comes back, we're going to see even less of him. Uh, just because he occupies that spot that that bogey plays in. And Nate had actually a good point that, you know, offensively he's been doing great, but defensively is where he kind of needs to take that next step forward uh, just because in that first Detroit game when Nate brought him in, he picked up two quick fouls. And, I mean, that's expected as a rookie, but if you want to earn your playing time, you have to be – almost not perfect, but you just can't pick up two quick fouls, essentially. And so I think if, you know, AJ continues to play aggressively in the minutes that he does have when he plays with uh, Bogey out, you know, I think it does create a, a good case for him. I mean, Nate wants to see him hustle, and he had a really great sequence, actually, on um, Saturday night when he was on the... Uh, in the corner waiting for for um, someone to kick the ball out to him. And instead of kicking the ball out to him, they took a contested shot and it missed. And he just hustled along the baseline and grabbed the rebound um, and then found a couple other people and it ended up in Murray's hands and he took a three. And so, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that wins you games. And so I think if he does more of that stuff, the, the dirty work, uh, diving for loose balls, starting to take some charges, um, grabbing offensive rebounds, I think it makes a good case for him to try and get some minutes even when Bogey comes back. And, um, but again, it's expected that we will end up seeing less of him because Bogey is another guy who's a bucket and as far as his recovery, it seems like it's going well. When I chatted with him in Detroit on Friday night, he said that he hasn't had any setbacks in his recovery, which is what you want to hear. That means he's progressing at the right pace. And of course, the Hawks are going to go the more cautious route because you don't want him to come back too early, suffer a setback, and then is out for more time during the season. You want him to be available for as many games as possible in the regular season. And then you also want to keep him healthy so that he can be an X factor in the postseason. So, I mean, I think it's a really good sign that the Hawks brought him on the road trip because I was half expecting him to stay back in Atlanta and continue rehabbing there. But it sounds like, you know, he's 
getting some conditioning work in. When I saw him at practice on Thursday, he was actually running, um, doing some suicides. And uh, again, that's a good sign. And on the Bally broadcast on Friday night, Travis Schlenk said that he was doing some one-on-one work. Uh, So again, that's a good sign that he's cutting the right way, his knee's holding up well, um, because before this trip, he was limited to just drills and light shooting. So I think he's progressing well. I, you know, he didn't give me a timeline when the Hawks expect him to be back. Nate hasn't given a timeline when the Hawks expect him to be back. But I think patience is key, especially if you're going for longevity as opposed to rushing him back and then, you know, something happens. So, For sure. I yeah. think that's a great way to end the mailbag. Of course, you can follow Lauren on Twitter at WilliamsLaurenL. Every Monday when we record the podcast, we hope to answer, or Lauren hopes to answer your questions. I'm just the one that reads them to her. And so <laughs> Lauren will be happy to answer your questions. And yes. you can tweet at her, even if it's during the week. Yes. And we'll save them for the next mailbag. So Lauren, I'll, I'll throw it back to you. Yeah. The Hawks are, I think, in a decent spot. They're four and two through their first six games. And, you know, the road is going to only get harder from there. Um, When they come back from the road trip, they're going to play the Pelicans that has Zion back. And so, you know, I would love, like I said, to see some Frank Kaminsky minutes just because that Pelicans team is just such a big team. Um, But we'll see from there. I'm Lauren Williams, and this is the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, an air freshener can make your car smell like paradise. A drive to Daytona Beach will actually get you there. Beach on. Plan your trip today at DaytonaBeach.com. In Atlanta, one voice has stood out for over four decades. An AJC original, The Monica Pearson Show. Let's talk about how you got to ESPN. Revealing interviews. You are known as America's doctor, but I want to know who you were before that. When you have a different name, you have different color skin, it can be tough. With Atlanta's most famous faces as you've never seen them before. I'm telling my story. This is the American dream. The Monica Pearson Show, streaming now on AJC.com. Welcome back to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. I just wanted to take this time to thank all of our listeners and everyone that subscribes to the AJC and AJC.com. All of that is what makes all of this possible. Now, if you aren't a subscriber, that's okay. But I highly recommend that you go to subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast and your first month of unlimited Digital access is just 99 cents. That's subscribe.ajc.com slash podcast so you always know what's really going on. All right, so Monday night's game against the Toronto Raptors was highly, very far from perfect. The Hawks ended up falling to the Raptors, 139 to 109, and... I think that we can chalk up that loss, Monday night's loss, to just complete and utter sloppiness on the Hawks' part. They had nine, ten turnovers in the first half, which resulted in about eight points for the Raptors and ended up giving them a six-point lead by the end of the first quarter. And by the end of all the action, the Hawks 
gave away 24 points off 18 turnovers for a team that had the fewest turnovers in the league last season. This is a very far cry from what we know this Hawks team is capable of doing. We understand that the Hawks are still in this figure-out stage at this point in the season after adding in several players in Murray, the Holidays, but at some point, we're going to want to see the chemistry uh, take shape and we want to be able to see them take care of the ball regardless of whether or not they're facing a team like the Raptors that has a lot of length or they're facing a team like the Bucks that has a lot of size. So all in all, you know, giving up 24 points off of 18 turnovers is very far from ideal, but I think the other thing that really hurt them on Monday night was giving up 14 made three-point shots, five of which were from last year's Rookie of the Year, Scotty Barnes. So I think at some point, you know, you want to see this team be able to make in-game adjustments and not just when they go to the locker room at halftime, but when they're on the floor and they're seeing things that's happening right in front of them. I mean, in the first quarter, Scotty Barnes made three consecutive shots from deep. At some point, they should have not even allowed him to be comfortable enough to make a third one or attempt a third one. So this team still has a lot of things to to adjust and, and get comfortable with each other. And part of that includes not getting into foul trouble. I think the fact that they lost uh, DeAndre Hunter for for much of the the second half because he picked up his fourth foul is again far from ideal and I, I understand that Hunter is trying to figure out uh, how to be that physical player that he wants to be but referees are honing in on that and so we're gonna have to see a lot more smarter or a lot of smarter decisions from Hunter going forward so that he doesn't get into this this issue again I mean this is the second time in three games that Hunter has been in foul trouble I mean we saw him fall out of that first matchup in Detroit and now here he is again picking up five fouls it's of course not ideal that John Collins fouled out but at that point you know Nate just you know waved the the white flag and emptied the bench and and we got to see some of those younger guys come in but yeah we're gonna have to see a little bit more consistency from the second unit because they did turn things around in that second quarter but when they came back after the half it it was as if the Raptors were running circles around them and they just couldn't settle into a rhythm and so there's definitely a lot that this team has to adjust and learn but they're gonna have a day off to kind of figure things out before they face the Knicks on Wednesday and and wrap up this five game road trip all right thanks for the analysis Lauren as the Hawks do fall to the Raptors 139 to 109 on Monday night we'll be back for another podcast next Tuesday we'll have another mailbag for you as well Till then, the Hawks will be on the road for one more game on Wednesday. We'll have an after-the-game podcast for you then. And then, of course, the Hawks will come home and we'll start a homestand on Saturday against the New Orleans Pelicans and then the Milwaukee Bucks next Monday. And then that's when we'll recap that game and have another show for you. So until then, for Lauren Williams, I'm Daniel Salerson. 
Thanks for listening to the Hawks Report from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution. Ocean breeze, tropical beach, pina colada. You can buy an air freshener to make your car smell like you're in an oceanside paradise. Or, better yet, you can point your car toward Daytona Beach and come experience the real thing. Visit DaytonaBeach.com to discover all there is to see, do, and enjoy along the world's most famous beach. Daytona Beach, Florida. Beach on. The AJC's trusted veteran political voices, Greg Bluestein, Patricia Murphy, Tia Mitchell, and Bill Nygut are the essential source for Georgia politics. The Atlanta Journal-Constitution's Politically Georgia. Sign up for the newsletter, download the podcast, subscribe to the AJC.